All right, welcome back to Birds of a Feather Talk Together podcast. This is RJ, and as always, I'm with John, Shannon, and Amanda. So we're getting together today. This is going to be a little less uh, traditional than our normal episodes. Uh, there was like a significant event in the past couple days in Chicago that we wanted to touch on. Um, and John and Shannon, I believe, is it safe to say, was on like the front lines for all of this. Yeah, you know, we, the museum has been uh, monitoring migration through the Chicago area every spring and fall for over 40 years, which predates us. And uh, yesterday was an event that our colleagues that have been here a long time said was, or yesterday, day before yesterday, right? Thursday. Yesterday. Yesterday. It was Thursday. It's been so crazy. So yeah, so so Thursday morning was a, was a, was a day that, uh, unlike almost any other that they'd ever experienced in terms of migration, in terms of meaning that we got up in the morning and, and I went out on our porch in Evanston and I was just watching small birds just stream over the house from the north going south. And uh, Dave Willard, who monitors McCormick Place every spring and fall morning um, when he's in town and others do it when he's not, was down at McCormick Place and there were hundreds of birds hitting the windows uh, there. And and then so uh, it was a major window collision event and and I, the biggest one at McCormick Place that they'd ever seen. And McCormick Place, for anybody who doesn't know, is a, about a four-story building, but it's one of the largest meeting spaces in the world, and it's right along the lakefront south of the museum. And uh, it's... It's a it's big a, black glass building. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So. And we've learned a lot over the years uh, in the sense that, that one of the things that really draws the birds in are having the lights on and the curtains open. And... The curtains were open, and there was a show going in because that's what McCormick Place does. And uh, this turned out to be a very big movement of birds, and an awful lot of them hit the windows. And so the number was in the thousands. Is that right? It was about 960 birds. Oh my gosh! Picked yeah. up there. A lot of different species. The 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 commonest things were uh, palm warblers and yellow rumped warblers. There were uh, well over a hundred of each. Wow! Um, and then there was a tale of other species. I think there were 19 species of warblers. And it just was, an, a, it, again, there. we wanted to mention that there are these uh, places to go to look for information like this. There's a, uh, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology runs something called BirdCast, which will actually use radar data to predict um, how things are moving around on any given night in spring and fall. And they were predicting a moderately strong movement of birds through Chicago. And, you know, we were talking about this uh, before we came on, and and some of the bird watchers, including one of our graduate students, Jacob Drucker, and his wife and and, uh, uh, another one of our grad students, Marky Mushler, were out at Promontory Point down by uh, uh, Jackson Park and had over 130,000 birds go over. Oh, my gosh. And so, you know, it may be that well over a million birds passed through Chicago last night. And unfortunately, a number of them hit windows. And mm-hmm. we're still figuring out the total numbers. Wow. So we've been, because we've been doing this for so long, the the birds that die against windows have been coming to the museum for so long. We know some things for sure with data, not just that we think, but that we know. And we know that closing the blinds on or curtains and closing the lights off around buildings reduces uh, bird collision window collisions by half or even more in some buildings. So that 
the city of Chicago has proactively decided to turn off the lights of most of the buildings in spring and fall migration. And you can see from the birds that get picked up and come to the museum that that actually works. And it was Mayor Daly who started that. He loved birds and, you know, he just basically worked with the park district and all the building managers to have the lights turn off. And if you're here in Chicago at night, you know that there are a lot of buildings with lights on them. That kind of skyline is iconically recognizable. But at this time of year, it's a lot darker than it than it will be once migration is over. There's a, been a lot of research that's been done on how to stop this from happening, not just the light regimes, which obviously make a big difference. There's a lot of light pollution in urban areas that causes some of these problems. But there's been developments of glass that is more tuned to cluing birds into the fact that there's a piece of glass there and not to hit it because the birds just see a reflection. You know those infinity mirrors that you can go into at Halloween where you just kind of, you can't figure out where you are and it looks like the world goes on forever in the same way? Well, that's what birds see when they're flying. Um, they just see the reflection. It looks like the tree that's over there is a tree in the uh, behind them. The lake is, you know, keeps going. And they don't have a sense of glass. Just like a toddler will walk right through a screen door or into a glass door because they don't have they don't have experience with that, and the birds don't either. And so there are things you can do to glass to make them less attractive to birds so that you disrupt that plane of view for a bird, and that triggers the bird into knowing there's something in front of it. So a lot of glass these days is etched, um, and there's they've done studies to look at where the etchings should be, how many inches apart, for example, the etching should be so. I, there's this. I was reading about it this morning. A two by four rule that if you're going in a horizon way, it's every two um, inches have some etch, and you can etch with lots of things: hydrochloric acid, you can physically etch, and then four inches in the other direction. And birds won't. That's kind of the space that they won't fly through in their normal life <laughs> without windows. And so if you trigger them into thinking that that space is just that small, they that's enough for them to avoid the glass. Of course, it costs a lot more money to put in glass like this. But, you know, if, if, if birds are a priority in that sense, pressure has to be placed on business owners and, and the government to prioritize this because... I don't blame them necessarily, but businesses aren't going to do it on their own on average because it costs money. So. And are there buildings in Chicago that the owners are taking efforts to put these in? There are some. There are some. I think, you know, it's, uh, retrofitting, is, as Shannon said, is expensive. And I think one of the big things is, you know, we'd like to see the some ordinances potentially that make future buildings safer by virtue of how they start as opposed to trying to do it retrofitting-wise. Mm-hmm. Do you think this event will be an eye-opener that could kind of make people aware of what's going on and try to start to implement things? I do. I think people are, you know, thinking about these things a lot more. And so you just, you want to let people know as a result. And so that's one of the things that that I think the publicity has been trying to get across. I mean, you know, I, I keep thinking about this from the, you know, this 
special aspect of what migration is and and uh, fall migration coming back to Shannon mentioning you know birds not being able to experience glass is a lot of these warblers bred up in southern Canada and a good proportion of the birds coming through are actually juvenile birds who have never seen a city before, much less seen glass. Uh And so, you know, every fall you're dealing with a bunch of naive birds that are just trying to do what evolution has evolved to control their mindset to do, which is get south to their wintering grounds. And I think it is really shocking, right, when you look at those pictures and you see all those birds laid out on the table at inside of the Field Museum, that tugs on people's heartstrings. Sure. But I wish what tugged on their heartstrings maybe even more than this is keeping their cats indoors, for example. Cats, uh, outdoor cats kill between one and a half and three billion birds a year in the United States alone. Oh my gosh. And the statistics on window kills of birds is like a million across the world a year. So, Hey, just wanted to take a quick break as there was some confusion and one of our listeners caught it and thankfully pointed it out to us. Shannon emailed me to clarify and said the numbers for collision deaths are 300 million to a billion nationwide. Thanks to that person for catching this. Okay, now back to the show. The scale of death is much greater from outdoor cats. And so that needs to get as much attention. Cats are not native um, species in our environments. They should be inside people's homes. Um, You can take them out on a leash, which sounds funny, but we know plenty of people who do that. (laughs) I've seen it. (laughs) I've seen it. Take their cats for a walk. But cats are horrible killers of birds, uh, not just birds, but other small wildlife. And a bell does not solve it, and cats don't solve rat problems on average. So we need we need to keep our cats inside. They have healthier lives too. Yeah. yeah. But it I mean I know it is shocking. And, and but the one thing is that these birds are their data. So they die by the museum, they come into the museum and they're going to be part of scientific studies now that can only be done in our museum with all of the comparative material. So what it, what is it about these birds? As John was saying, what what's the ratio of juveniles to adults that are going through How big are these birds? We know that birds are getting smaller over the last 40 years. These window kill data show us that pretty dramatically. So what's the size range of the birds that that hit these buildings? And then what can we learn about how we're going to stop this from happening um, as we make weather events more common and more severe? They're going to impinge on migratory times more frequently, and that's going to result in in more deaths, which means we have to attack this problem uh, in a lot of different ways, including stopping altering the environment so much, um, stop raising the temperature of the earth so much. So I'm curious what like the collection process is like, like over 900 birds seems like astronomical. <laughs> yeah, it is. We need like, like 50 how, people to come and help Is it that us. many? I mean, are, are, well, it's a, it's a, I mean, Dave Willard, our retired collection manager, uh, deserves the real credit for continuing to 
do this year after year after year. And it's just uh, he's always seen the value in it from a scientific standpoint. Um, and and we're starting to see a lot of neat publications come out of it, of, as Shannon was saying, from of all different kinds. And so, you know, I, I think one of the things that it just the longitudinal aspect of having this much information is going to be really valuable in ways that we haven't even thought of yet. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I was wondering regarding following up on RJ's question was were people posted at McCormick Place like like knowing this would happen? No, 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 no. No, okay. No, and, and, and you know, I, I think this is the, the interesting thing about this. We were talking about this in the museum today is that, you know, at some level we've got better data about about weather than ever before. So this BirdCast uh, website that I mentioned that Cornell runs. And, you know, one of the thoughts I was having was, well, let's see if we can get to the point where the day before we're anticipating what's going on. And we're almost there. And, you know, the question is, are we, you know, if you have a whole bunch of false alarms, people are going to get frustrated. That's true. Um, But... The use of artificial intelligence to monitor this, these trends is only going to get better. So you have to train your data on something, and then it, you know, it keeps learning and learning and learning. And there are some really great people who are doing very high-end things with both imaging. You can see these birds on radar. Wow. You can see wow. it. You can see the migration. And at, when that happened... Like 20 years ago, when we picked up birds that fell into the lake, people tried to publish a paper on it. People were like, you can't see birds on the – you can't see birds on radar. It's crazy, <laughs> but you totally can. And the technology is only getting better to train the artificial intelligence um, so that we can not just mop up afterward, but, you know, do a better job of predicting these events, yeah. which – could mean that you really go to these building people and say, look, this is going to be a bad day. Please shut the shut your blinds. Make sure the lights are turned off. Um, and that should help. But Yeah. So what can, what can, like, listeners do, people that are fans, to try to help? You know, is it writing politicians? Is it going to owners of buildings? Is it protecting your yeah, own home as well? We don't want to demonize buildings or building owners. You know, we know a lot about McCormick Place because it's right south of the museum and you can walk there and walk around it. And the people have been very generous in not freaking out when we do walk around the building. So it's not, it's not, I don't, you don't never want to demonize McCormick Place or, or the managers of these buildings because everybody needs to work together to make sure the light regimes are better suited to not killing birds. And so that's going to be a sacrifice for some people. You don't get to see, I don't remember what this building's called, but I always call it the wedding cake building. Oh, that yes. Downtown, well, at some times of the year, you're not going to see the lights of that beautiful building yeah. and, you know, get over it. Uh, and always lobbying your politicians for uh, climate change solutions, uh, energy solutions, all of these things, um, building codes so that uh, bird-friendly glass is actually required in certain kinds of buildings, proper bird-friendly glass installed properly. Yeah. You know, people have tried, they've put the windows in backward, 
And the other thing the studies show is that you need the etching to be on the side facing the outside for birds. It's not as effective if the etching is through the glass oh, on the okay. inside. And so okay. if you're if building people are fairly naive to what to do with this glass, they pay a lot of money for this glass and then install it backward, it's going to be less effective. Um, A lot of uh, glass that is mirrored, kind of, is super bad for birds, too, because that's like a mirror. Yeah. And and so it's really important that you – those things can be really important for energy conservation, but then you have a special obligation if you're going to use glass that's – that's really highly reflective like that to to do something to help birds. Mm -hmm. So if you find dead birds, um, you can, uh, if they're alive, you can call uh, the rehab centers and they'll come and get the bird. The Chicago collision monitors have a online number and and they'll come out and and pick up live birds, which is a terrific service for the city of Chicago. And if you find dead birds, you can... um, you should probably wear gloves, although we don't. Shh. Um, <laughs> you can put them in a Ziploc bag, put a note in the bag that says who you are, where you are, where where the bird was found, what day it is, um, any other special circumstances. Put it in the bag and put it in the freezer and then bring it to the museum. And we'll take its data and document it and make sure it's part of the scientific endeavors of the of the museum, and then really honestly lobby for environmental protections yeah. and for clean energy. Because mm-hmm. in the long run, even though those aren't shocking, those things don't aren't going to – you're not going to see all those birds. I mean, who knows how many birds died, got burned to death in the fires. I'm from British Columbia. The entire province was on fire for most of the summertime. And – a lot of birds probably died, but they don't die in a place where people can see them. Mm-hmm. And so this is big and loud, mm-hmm. but we don't know that this event plays much of a role in the um, the numerical declines, the population declines of, of North American birds. This we don't know. So, you know, we can ask questions. We were just talking with Jacob Drucker again about this this morning. You can ask questions about whether that does are are the days like this becoming more common? Are they killing more birds? Um, are they? Does it one day like this signify a whole migratory season that might be more deadly for birds than others? You know. Well, hopefully just awareness helps, you know, people understand that things are happening, you know, whether or not they're super significant, but people just start to see that we're affecting the population and the things that we're doing is limiting what birds are able to do and, you know, contributing to the decline. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, years ago, people might not have even known that the average person and now they're talking about it on the news. So right. hopefully that's yeah. a step Absolutely. in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. You have time, come and volunteer in the museum. You can be part of turning those birds into... Um, scientific study specimens. So. And the, the Chicago collision monitors who go around the buildings downtown have over 100 volunteers now wow. that do these routes in the spring and fall. Wow. So it's a good social, it's a good way to meet people who might think of things that are important the way you do. So, you know, you could, there's lots of ways to get involved. Um, Great. 
Well, I think we're about it on time. So I, you know, I hope people that are listening can spread the word about what happened and volunteer as well. Um, you know, is there anything anybody wants to add before we call it on this one? Just to, again, you know, an, the last thing I'd say is this happened because Chicago is an incredible crossroads for, for bird movement every spring and fall. And, and so we need to do our part and we can. And it happens in the light because the field museums made a commitment to monitoring the fates of migratory birds for decades at this point. So, so we have data and that makes a big difference. It's not just emotional appeals, which are obviously make sense, but we actually can apply data uh, and make better solutions from data. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, all. Thanks, all.